en el disco. You're listening to Druid FM on 192BC. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is Baz V Halloween 2015 episode number 3. That's right, we are halfway, at the halfway point, um, in our five week psychological exercise in terror. Our terror, our victim, none other than the man, the myth, the legend, the Baz. Hola, my sexy little hump weak bitches. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, fuck me. I'm uh, punch drunk and weary, my friend, I think is probably the best way to describe me right now. Halfway yeah. through this son of a bitch. I bet you're owning it. You're you're uh, three one up in the score. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, still on my feet, that's the main thing. <laughs> Couple of cheeky wee jabs in week two there. You did you um you kinda you kinda put me back uh, to the drawing board. I thought at least one of those movies would have maybe picked up a point and the fact that neither picked up a point has kinda has kinda I am not gonna I'm not gonna lie, it's kinda dented my confidence. However this week What uh, one did you hedge your bets on? Was it Antichrist? I thought Antichrist. Yeah. I thought not because of the particular scenes and violence, I just think um that like I said at the time, the movie deals with grief in a way which I find quite profound. I find myself even after watching it, kind of putting myself in the headspace of how I would react had my child died, yeah. um, and that's a horrible thought. It's a really yeah. horrible thought. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of, I was kind of, on the back foot. Um, but we're at the halfway point, so as always, the movies. Um, some people would say increase the trauma. Um, I like to think that I've spread it out quite evenly, so no one week is, uh, you know, a powerhouse week. Um, and I've kind of mixed them up quite a bit. So this week we are looking at 2002's Irreversible by Gaspar Noé, um, a rather controversial filmmaker at the best of times. Um, and that's in our unsettling cinema camp and we will be following that up with a little found footage movie called Lake Mungo, a movie which I had not seen before recording this episode, it's my wild card. I was going to say this is your wild card week Downton, throwing yeah. caution to the wind. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I chose it, uh, and I'll go into more detail when we review it, um, was on the back that it was the talked about movie when it came out, the met people I know that have have said that you know you need to see this movie uh, not to mention and like I say we'll go into more detail later on but not to mention it, it did once appear on um, one of the uh, listener polls for yes. ourselves for a Basby horror but we'll, we'll get into that later on um, but yeah so so we've got we've got another another two movies to cut through and um, yeah we're at the halfway point which means uh, we have another two weeks after this left and um, I'm not really letting up Baz if I'm honest because uh, next week has a movie which is distinctively British um, 
and so grim it's unbelievable uh, and Lake oh, Mungo <laughs> Lake Mungo and the no the, no Lake Mungo's this week Duncan. oh sorry Eden Lake sorry yes. they've, both got, they've both got Lake in the title I'm getting confused I, I, I was going to hope you were going to throw, throw Lake Placid in there but it's <laughs> Uh, and for an easy win uh, and the, the immortal words of Betty White in that movie if I had a dick this is where I tell you to suck it um, <laughs> I do have a dick so suck it Buzz uh, so <laughs> and, the, and the found footage um, is a movie that was suggested to us uh, by our good friend Rachel Shipley from the Big Horror Little Podcast and she suggested that at the end of last year uh, to go along with um our look at the exorcism of Emily Rose. She suggested that we look at the taking of Deborah Logan, so we will be doing that movie next week as well. And then one more week left, uh, and that's obviously the easiest week of all with Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> God. Um, and, and Home Movie, the movie that terrified me at 3am at a, a horror cinema festival. Um, yeah, so... And then... Life. Cl- <laughs> closing it all out... Baz uh, with our, our horror commentary of Grave Encounters 2 and uh, see if the, the sequel can pack the same punch as the original um, but of course I did actually have a bit of a chuckle when I was listening back to uh, <laughs> our week one recording of Baz v Halloween mm-hmm. and I heard my jingle for the first time um, and uh, <laughs> I think actually quite a lot of the footage of me and that was taken from that Grave Encounters uh, commentary <laughs> A lot of that. I, I, I did have a bit of a chuckle to myself. <laughs> so many, so many cinders from one commentary. Uh, I'm, I'm like a kid in a pick and mix shop. I'm just surrounded by so many tasty little segments that I can just pull out the bag every now and again, Baz, and shove it on a promo. Um, yeah, so that, that first episode um, went out, was a huge hit. A lot of people coming back and um, telling us how much they enjoyed the. the the onslaught of a uh, of the Baz kind of uh, doing actually uh, fairly respectable if I if I do say so myself. And we even got a tweet from uh, our bass playing friend Tom, who said yep. that he too sat down and checked out um, a, a little movie called uh, The Last Broadcast afterwards, um, and he hadn't seen it in about twenty years, and it terrified him as well. So there you go, Baz. Scary little bastard of a film not alone in that capacity but yeah so plenty still to come up and plenty still to play for there is no clear winner until someone um, reaches seven points in this competition um, sorry six points in this competition uh, is the cutoff point so you need to make six you need to make five to draw or six to win and you're halfway to your total already yeah yeah feeling good about myself right now don't we'll see how we are at the end of this show Almost touch it, Baz. Almost touch it. It's so, so close. But, um, yeah, so we've got another two movies to talk about. Baz, is there anything you would like to get off your chest at the start of this episode before we take a very short break? Play your theme song, Big Man, and then return with um, our first movie review, which is Gaspar Noe's Irreversible. Uh, nope. While you're playing that, I'm going to fix myself up with a very large whiskey mac to get me through this. Very nice, sir, very nice. Right, we're going to take a very short break just now. Like I said, there's going to be promos, there's going to be the the new intro to Baz v Halloween 2015. You're also going to hear the trailer for our first movie review on the unsettling cinema bracket. I chose Irreversible from 2002. Myself and the Baz will be back to discuss that movie right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, 
and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities. Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com. Seventy-two movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list of video nasties. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish, and you can join me and my co-host Andy Blockley. Hello, hello. As we chat about the seventy-two films, reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast. Tell them about Andy. Okay, nineteen eighty-two. 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horrorphilia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out. No, I know. I'm, I'm gearing myself Uh-oh. up. Full of fucking fright. Oh, you <laughs> bastard. The film kicked my ass. I mean, I'm a fucking 40-year-old man, but I was genuinely scared in the house on my own. Oh! Fuck it! <laughs> and actually, I'd wear a word of a lie when I first went in and over to my wife. I kind of knelt down in front of was watching the deli and I'm going like that, you're never leaving the house again on your own. <laughs> oh, shit! Without a word of a lie, and I'm genuinely not making this up, and I've never done this in my life, I just went, SHIT! I will never watch this film again. Never as long as I live. Which she actually manages to achieve towards the end of the film, after being skinned. Which was fucking horrendous, to be quite honest. And I was just so fucking unprepared for that. <laughs> My nervous system is at your disposal mm. uh, to be mocked by the fucking idiots that listen to this podcast. Baz v Halloween, year two.
And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for first movie review of Baz V Halloween 2015 episode number three. Oh, here we go. <laughs> you, you just, you, oh, this movie, this fucking movie. Um, right, so we are discussing Irreversible from 2002, written and directed by Gaspar Noé. Um, the movie, a pretty all-star kind of French um, actor cast here. We've got uh, Monica Bellucci, Vincent Castle, uh, who's probably the biggest name in this actually. Albert. I recognise Monica Bellucci, but I didn't recognise his name. Uh, Vincent Cassell, he's been mm. in fucking loads. He's probably one of the bigger. He usually plays villains in movies, if we're being honest. Right. Uh, you will have seen about two or three movies. He's the one that kind of has very successfully crossed over into Hollywood. He's done quite a lot of more Hollywood. He does quite a lot of French cinema still. It has Albert Dupontel, uh, Joe Pristia, uh, Philippe Nahon, Stephanie Drouot, Jean-Louis Costa, uh, Coste, or whatever. Um, Another lot of foreign folk um, <laughs> the synopsis for this movie is events over the course of one traumatic night in Paris unfold in reverse chronological order as the beautiful Alex is brutally raped and beaten by a stranger in an underpass now I saw this movie when it came out all the way back 2003 I think 2002 uh, but it, it was uh, it didn't come out on Blu-ray, sorry, oh, DVD right. in the UK until yeah. 2003. Yeah. It didn't get a cinema run <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, so this is this is um, not really a horror movie, uh, no. like some of these unsettling cinema ones aren't. Um, this is the first one that's definitely not a horror movie. I mean, people could argue that uh, the previous two movies are within the kind of horror-ish camp. To an extent, um, I spit in your grave, not so much. It just gets lumped in with it. Irreversible for me um, was a quite creepy movie though. Um, it's unsettling subject matter um, and it wasn't an easy watch, especially when I knew very little about the movie and it had been sold to me on the premise of you really liked Memento, you will like this movie. And the only thing it shares with Memento is the movie is shot in reverse chronological order. Mm-hmm. That is it. Subject matter wise, couldn't be any fucking different, or, um, or any more different. Sorry, um, and yeah, it's 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 a bit of a it's an art house movie first and foremost. Certainly, very art house in the way it's shot, its direction, um, and like I say, there there are a couple of scenes in this movie that are fairly horrific. Um, but people don't want to hear what I think about this movie. <laughs> That's not why they've tuned in. They want to find out if one of my picks, we're in the third episode, an unsettling cinema has made a dent um, in the, the psychological resolve of the Baz. So um, what we will do now is open the floor and I will ask you, Baz, you watched Irreversible today. What did you yeah. make of that movie? Um... First off, I, I had never heard of Irreversible, um, and I was slightly confused. I, I'm, you've read out that uh, little, very brief synopsis there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm quite glad I had never looked at that, actually, because I was completely unaware about how this film is shot and what to right. do in terms of time. Because I was approaching it brand new, didn't know anything about it, and, I'm, and I'm, to an extent, I'm quite glad of that, because to me, that was the big thing about this film. But when the DVD arrived, 
bizarrely, I actually began to panic that I'd been sold like a bootleg copy. <laughs> because if you look a normal DVD case, certainly in this country, it opens along the right hand edge. Uh-huh. So if I am holding it at the right hand edge here, I'm looking at the back cover. Uh-huh. And I need to sort of turn it round and turn it upside down to get it the right way up and then basically the front cover's upside down and reading back to front. And I'm like, what, what the fuck is wrong with this? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, this is some bootleg copy that you'd buy at the Barra's Market mm-hmm. in fucking Glasgow, only I bought it off Amazon. But it was a second-hand copy that I bought it's actually quite dear to buy nowadays. Um, I don't think it had a fairly limited run. Yes, it did. So it was a second-hand copy that I'd bought off Amazon and I, I thought it had been sold a hooky one. But it's clearly because the film for, follows this rather strange kind of garbled time sequence if you like and yeah. I think this is supposed to represent that it, it extends it extends out with that I mean even if you look at the credits or any text on mm. there certain letters are reversed yeah and that's the same in the cover mm-hmm. um, so yeah so I, I sat down to watch the day with no idea of what was coming um, the film that starts off with the end credits <laughs> and they basically then run in reverse mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, alright, this is this whole back to front thing. Now, interesting, you mentioned Memento. Memento's not a film that I have ever seen. I know it's the one with Guy Pearce in it. It's a phenomenal, it's um, one of my favourite movies ever made. Yeah, and I think he, he kind of has to write things or tattoo things in his body, something to do with his memory or something. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So, but I wasn't aware of, I've never seen that film either, so I had no clues at all. Um, the. I'm not really going to talk too much about the plot in this because. To be honest, it's not particularly huge. The interest comes from the way that this film is shot and the way it's pieced together. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's about a young couple and a kind of third wheel, and another guy who used to be the boyfriend of the girl. They go out together, they go to a party, she falls out with the guy, the boyfriend leaves and gets raped. Mm-hmm. And then what occurs after that? The film opens with, the, with these two kind of relatively elderly gentlemen sitting in that looks like a wee dingy kind of hotel room, um, and they're talking. And one of them kind of reveals that he was in jail for raping his daughter. It was a very odd way to start the film, um, and, and quite unsettling because you know it's, I think he says something about I slept with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Just you know, it was not you know. Uh, I don't know how fucking paedophiles fucking say what they did, do you know what I mean? But you wouldn't go that asleep with my daughter, do you know what I mean? Um, it, it was just it was a bit fucking odd. The, the oddest thing is, is that is shit all to do with the rest of this film. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's no bearing on fucking them. It was just an odd way to open it. Then, right, at the, even in that, this thing, the camera work is fucking mind-blowing, to be quite honest, because it, it's constantly moving. The camera's constantly turning around. It's very dizzying to watch. Mm-hmm. And for about the first 15 minutes, it just gets progressively worse. Um, in between, it's sort of shot in a series of scenes. And the whole premise of these is, what you don't know at the start, if you don't know anything about the film, is you're actually watching the final scene. Mm-hmm. And it then works back the way. So. When each scene is played out, you're seeing it in proper time. You know, it starts at the beginning of the scene and it works towards the end. But the next scene is the one before it kind of thing. It, it took me a wee minute or two to kind of figure this out. But I like to think that I got it fairly early on. I got it just in sort of the gay sex club scene, which I'm going to come on to in a minute. And I've written in my notes here, 
um, is this whole film in reverse? And then I've written later on, yeah, the scenes are in reverse order. Kind of thing. I was quite pleased that I picked up on this because, like I've said before, sometimes with these kind of artier films, a lot of it can pass me by. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you hadn't caught and gone to that, this film would be mind-blowingly confusing. Um, and I like to think I got it fairly early, so I was quite pleased with that. But yeah, in between these scenes, it kind of transitions between scenes by basically the camera spinning kind of into the air and round, and then it'll settle in the next scene kind of thing. Which, interestingly, certainly at the start of this film, almost made it feel like you were watching one huge long scene. Mm-hmm. You know, just the way it was quite cleverly done, but not an effect that I was enjoying by the end. It goes from like this scene with these old men into this really kind of underground type club, and it's some kind of rectum, it's called, yeah. which uh, is the least fucking inventive name for a gay sex club, which is what this turns out to be. And it's pitch black in there. Any light is like fluorescent neon, and there's strobes going off everywhere. There's pounding music. There's this guy who, up to this point, we've never fucking seen, screaming at people, looking for a character called the Tenia, um, assaulting people when he can't find them, and then when they finally do catch on to him, um, they basically, the the second male character who we come on to find out who they are shortly, basically beats him to death with a, a, a fire extinguisher mm-hmm. in a very graphic scene. Uh, very, and you're like, what? What the fuck is going on here? So between this kind of spinning camera work and just inside this club, my, my head was pounding, um, and I really felt quite nauseated. Like the way I've been with some of the kind of found footage ones, mm-hmm. um, it, it genuinely kind of had that effect on me, and it wasn't pleasant. I, I like to think I'm getting kind of better with the found footage stuff. I don't know if it's just because I've been watching more of it. But this whole spinning camera type idea really backfired quite badly on me. I did not like it at all. And I've actually written here um, 15 minutes in and it's still doing it. I hope the whole film's not like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well, there is a, again, at about the half hour mark, the film kind of settles down in terms of the, the camera style and the sound work in the film. And it does become easier to watch. Because up until this point as well, there's a kind of constant soundscape yes. through it, which you don't notice initially, but then when you notice it, it's like fucking nails down a chalkboard because mm-hmm. it's just constant and it's kind of visceral and ah, not fucking cool at all, I've got to say. Um, was not enjoying this in any way, shape or form. At, at this point kind of thing it was a bit confusing I, I've already done Antichrist which was a very kind of art house film and didn't particularly enjoy it and this film it was pretty much heading the same kind of way um, some of the stuff in this gay sex club I found very kind of shocking um, I'm not a gay man I'm heterosexual big fan of the badge <laughs> uh, well I'm going to qualify that big fan of my wife's. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I don't class myself as homophobic, um, the homosexual life. It's not the lifestyle for me, but each to their own. If other people want to practice it, fucking knock yourselves out. Have a ball. But some of the stuff, in fairness, some of the homosexual acts that are portrayed in this club, I imagine 
90% of homosexual people do not practice this kind of stuff. I don't imagine too many of them suspend themselves in a fucking sex swing and then fist their own anus. But that is one of the scenes that, that we are fucking shown in, in this film. It, it's dark and it's fucking on the edge and it was all a little bit much for this wee boy for the noon, to be quite honest, do you know what I mean? Um, I, I found it quite shocking and quite unsettling and coupled with everything, with the visuals, with the sound, with the camera work, I, I was not having a fucking good time uh, by the end of this kind of second scene, if you like. Um, as I say, the, the, the scene, so we're talking about the end of the film here, basically the, the, the villain in all of this, if you like, gets beaten to death by a fire extinguisher. Um, and it, it, it's really horrible because there's no there's none of this exploding head type fucking no. special effects that you get in some kind of zombie flack there's a dull crunching noise mm. you know and it's just constant the head doesn't cave in it just gets more and more kind of smashed up looking you know but it doesn't split open in any kind of way do you know what I mean there's, and there's, it's just fucking constant yeah there's uh, like after like after about the second hit, you notice in his face that he's already missing a tooth by about yeah. three or four. He's missing several teeth, and the camera doesn't shy away. The camera is constantly fixated at a weird angle on his face. Yeah, as what, this guy takes his time. Me? Yeah, uh huh. He keeps stopping as if he's done, and then because we find out the, the 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 victim in it. This is her boyfriend and her ex boyfriend, and the one that actually kills him is the ex boyfriend. Mm -hmm. But there's a, a particular bit as well, like you say, he keeps kind of stopping and then it's like the rage comes over him again and he starts yeah. again, you know. And to make it fucking, there's guys wanking furiously because yeah. they're getting off in this and that. It's really subversive and fucking dark. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a bit as well, you're thinking like, the guy's fucking dead, but then you see his jaw move as if he's like gasping for air or trying to speak like oh my fucking god he's still alive and for some reason that jaw movement really got to me mm -hmm. like oh my god he's still alive you know and then the guy just fucking starts again but as well the other one the, the current boyfriend if you like he's gone for this guy at first and basically gets the shit kicked to him and the guy breaks his arm mm -hmm. and that arm breaking is pretty is horrible a real toe curler for me as well it was quite graphic and the the real high-pitched kind of scream. Yeah. Mean, this is this Vincent Cassell boy you're talking about. Hats off to him. He, he was, He's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, he really, he really was. And there was no big, ah, type scream. It was what was horrible about that as well? high-pitched yelp like a dog. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when the guy breaks his arm, the first instinct he has is then to rape him. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah. you know, uh, the, yeah, the movie goes for the jugular <laughs> right yeah, at the start. Right at the start, because normally this would be the kind of crescendo of a film, do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? The big ending, and we're getting right at the start. Um, and then it basically works back through the, the course of the evening as, as to what has happened. We see um, the two, these two guys. You see them hunting for this gay club. They're, you know, they attack a taxi driver. They're pulling up prostitutes because they, they found out that the guy that did it was some kind of pimp or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's a <laughs> there's a bit where they're actually found out as a transsexual um, prostitute, and she reveals her penis to prove that it's a guy kind of thing. Which was, yep. you just weren't expecting. Like, oh my god, do you know what I mean? Um, like I say, maybe I'm slightly sheltered in these things, I don't know, but 
all of this. I, just, I didn't know where to go with this film. I didn't know what was coming next. Um, as I say, I clocked the fact that we're working back in time. But yeah, it was a bit fucked up. We then, so you, they're hunting for this place to find the guy. Then we find them, um, these two guys saying, we can help you, we can take you to find this guy. We know who did it. Then you see them, the two of them are standing outside having a cigarette. It turns out they've been at a party. Mm-hmm. And then this fucking body gets wheeled by in an ambulance and the guy looks down and he starts screaming Alex Alex and it's his girlfriend we then go back you see her leaving the party um, it, it's hard to remember the order this comes in because obviously it's kind of working back the way because yeah, yeah. like I say she'd been at the party she falls out with her boyfriend and leaves she's trying to hail a cab they seem to be in quite a bad area because there's a lot of like call girls like prostitutes on the street and one of them says, you're probably safer just going through the underpass there than trying to fly down a taxi type thing. So she goes out of this underpass, which is what is the image that appears on the film poster and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's walking down this underpass, right? You're thinking, right, this isn't going to end well. This is clearly what, you know, we know that this girl's been raped by this point. She's walking through it. Um, this couple come round the corner ahead of them, a guy and a girl. The guy stops and just starts kicking the shit out of the girl and he's some kind of pimp and this is one of his girls, one of his working girls and he, he kicks the shit out of her. Um, it's not particularly nice to fucking watch. The character of Alex, who's the female lead, she's kind of frozen right beside them. She can't get by them because she's kind of obviously she's terrified as well. And then he basically turns on her. Um, at first, he just won't let her out, kind of chasing her about. Really creepy, really kind of... Not particularly frightening to watch at this point, but you can imagine for the girl, it would have been a terrifying, you know, that overbearing, I'm not letting you go type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is this just horrific rape scene. Yeah. Um, I kind of don't want to dwell on it too much because I, I'm not going to deliver the fucking punch. It was... We've already done I Spit on Your Grave. I, t- I, t- I told you about this when we yeah. did this movie. Uh, I Spit on Your Grave is a film that is about the gang rape of a woman and what she does in revenge for that kind of thing. But obviously we watched the original one, which was quite old, and while the rape scenes were very unsettling, there was a the age of the film and the acting. You know, it... it you just knew that it wasn't real. You know, there, there wasn't that toll, oh my God, I can't believe this has happened in front of me. It was horrible to watch. And like we said at the time, I'm not trying to denigrate what that film yeah. did or end it was on it. But just the, the, the acting wasn't great. It was a low-budget thing, late 70s, early 80s, whatever it was. Um, it just all looked slightly unreal. That's not the case in this film. This is... It's awful. And it... Uh, it's done as if it's done in a single shot I don't know if it was but it certainly comes across that way and it goes on I actually thought about timing it but I was because this film's in French um, I was trying my very best not to do anything because it's subtitled so if you miss a fucking line you don't know what's going on do you know what I mean Um, so I refrain from timing it but it's well over five minutes I would imagine Mm -hmm. um and it's from beginning to end, it's from him pushing her about to him slamming her down onto the ground, 
removing her underwear, you know, it's the whole fucking thing and it, it's relentless. Um, it's, I think this fucking character of this pimp is gay because he, yeah. he ends up in this gay sex club and he anally rapes her. Yes, that's right, yeah. As well. Um, apologies for fucking people that haven't listened to this. It's not a fucking nice thing to talk about. Um, you know, he's doing poppers during it all. Do you know what I mean? It's just... It's fucking horrendous. This is... You know... I don't like this subject matter. I, I, we discussed this back in week one. Mm-hmm. This is my worst kind of fucking nightmare because this looks like it's real. That It's just horrific. The things he's saying to her are horrifying. Mm. And and while you don't physically see anything pornographic, it's it's very graphic. Um, what he's doing there, kind of thing, you know, and he's talking about is that blood or are you wet and all this. It, it's fucking horrific. Startlingly, what happens after it? He then basically he kind of rolls off and lies there. He's not quite having a fag, but he's not in any fucking rush to guys kicking back doing his poppers she's crawling about I mean the, the performance by Bellucci at this point was amazing yeah she's phenomenal um, actress as you know well. I mean um, she's kind of not crawling about really but she's kind of drawing herself up on her knees she's obviously fucking shattered um, and then he beats her mm-hmm. he just kicks the shit out of her um, she's in no position to fucking fight back she's a violent fucking rape and then, you know, he's kind of got her back, kneels down on top of her, so she could, and the, the, it's this rapid fire kind of punch in her face. I was, I wasn't having a good fucking time as it was, and this, for some reason, hit me all, just as bad, if not slightly worse than the rape scene, this beating that he delivers to her after it. And again, it, we talked about this nice spit in your grave, it's almost this kind of belittling type thing, you know, yeah. it's this, he spits on her and... You know, it's as if the rape fucking wasn't bad enough. You're just an animal, you're a piece of shit type idea, you know, and what's just happened to you doesn't matter because you're fucking less than me type idea. You know, that that's... He doesn't say any of that, but that's what he's trying to portray. Uh, it is, it's awful, this scene. It's absolutely fucking awful. Um, then, did you did you notice? Sorry. And it's something that I'm I, I I it was Andy Blockley who explained this to me during the the rape scene. There is someone that appears in the background. Yes, I did see that and walks away. Yeah, you, uh, just a bit of trivia on that, Baz. That is actually a member of the the crew. All oh, right. Who accidentally walked into the camera shot and then obviously realised he'd walked in during filming, had walked out, and the director kept it in. And I think that. That that makes me it horrifies me even more that it's in that scene. It's this idea of what, in a lot of respects, does happen in real life when people see crimes and just walk yeah, away. Yeah. Um, I had I, actually thought it was supposed to be one of these two guys that the boyfriend and the friend meet. You right. Know, the ones that kind of say we can we know who did it we'll help you and all this kind of thing. I thought it was because they've seen it happen and they recognise the guy. Mm-hmm. Clearly not the case, but that that was what I had taken from it. But um. But yeah, there is that. that yeah, it was happening at the time. Like I say, I was thinking all that with that guy, but when you look at it that way, yeah, it was somebody that just walked down, saw this happening, and just turned around and walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's fairly shocking. Um, Sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, it's quite all right. Um, I'm not going to fucking dwell on that too much. I, I, I 
I'm not going to do this scene justice. You, you really, uh, if if you want to see what it's about, you really have to watch it. It's it is, I, I, that's incredibly the, the, powerful. Yeah, the, the disclaimer is that if you're sensitive to any violence against women, if you're yeah. sensitive to anything that even remotely touches on the idea of rape, this violence. you can't. Yeah, don't watch this movie. No, I, 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 I know we're saying that. You might be like, oh, they're saying like now they're saying I don't watch it. Then I should. No, I genuinely mean this. Um, I am a seasoned veteran of genre movies been oh, watching them for you know uh, over 20 years now and I've seen I've seen the ones that are claimed as the worst this is by far the worst rape scene I've ever seen in any movie in terms of how realistic it feels and how uncomfortable it makes me mm-hmm. feel so mm-hmm. because there, there's just prolonged periods of him just thrusting in there yeah. with his hand over her mouth and when I say prolonged I mean it's it's filmed in such a way, like the rape scenes in uh, A Spit in Your Grave are relatively short. Yeah. They're not pleasant to watch by any means, but they're relatively short. And one of the things that did go through my head was, you know, if it would take longer for a guy, surely it would take longer than that for a guy to get to the end of it. Do you know what I mean? They've not done that in this. You're like that, God, it must end sometime fucking soon. Do you know what I mean? But it's just this guy getting to. You know, getting his jolly, he's getting to the end of it. Um, it it's fucking awful. It's absolutely awful. Um, the film then moves on, and it just basically keeps regressing in time. So we see the scene where she falls out with him at the party. Um, we see the scene where they're going to the party. We then find out that this other guy, who's with her and her boyfriend, is an ex-boyfriend. There's a very uh, Marcus is the boyfriend, Pierre's the ex-boyfriend, and Alex is the girl. There's a very strange scene where they're um, travelling on the subway to get to the, the party that they go to um, and the ex they're talking about having sex and how the new boyfriend can make her come and the, the ex-boyfriend is obsessed with finding out how he's doing this mm-hmm. and it's just, it's really fucking not, I'm like that, I can't possibly imagine being one of my wife's exes never mind having him talk about when he used to have sex with her Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's very strange, I've got to say. <laughs> and that, this, is, I think, is, is where one of my chief criticisms of it, because this way it's shot in reverse. You have this very violent kind of climax right at the start, and the worst part of the whole scene, or the whole film rather, is in the middle. And then it gets progressively lighter. Now, there's probably very artistic, clever reasons for this, but there is, yeah. That it's it's gone by me type thing, Um, and it kind of. I was left at the end not feeling quite as bad as I would have done if this film had been shot in normal kind of sequence. We then see. There's an earlier scene just with Alex and the boyfriend, and they're having sex. They're just finished having sex, kind of thing. But they find out that she was pregnant, or she thought she was pregnant, and we see her taking a test and stuff like that. And then the final scene, I couldn't quite figure out if that was set after it or not, because she appeared to be holding her stomach as if she had a bump. Whereas when she does the test, she's very early pregnant, kind of thing, you know. So I wasn't quite sure about the last scene where it came in the chronolo- chronology of the whole thing. I didn't know if they'd maybe changed it. Um, and the, the very last words um, that appear, there is a horrific strobing sequence mm-hmm. right at the end, 
which to be quite honest, in all genuine seriousness, if anybody's that photosense of epilepsy, do not fucking watch the end of this film, because I thought I was going to have a fucking stroke watching it, do you know what I mean? It's really powerful strobing. And then the words that come up is time destroys all things. And it, what I'm kind of taking from it is that, you know, this film, or the, this day or evening realm has started off like the best possible way mm-hmm. and ended up the worst. Do you know what I mean? Because the boyfriend and the other guy have fucking killed this guy. They're going to jail. You know, she's... I don't know if she's meant to be dead at the end of this or not, but she's certainly in a very fucking bad way, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's like everything has crumbled over time. And um, they've obviously done this kind of reverse time signature thing to emphasise that, you know, look, look at this terrible thing that fucking happened and look what was happening just a few hours before. You know, you never know what's going to happen type thing. Funnily enough, um, I watched it today, as you said, watched it this afternoon. Um, I was going to watch it last night. I had actually texted you mm-hmm. to see when we were going to record, and we were going to record today, or this evening rather, and as I say, my friend, uh, my wife had one of her old college friends over last night for dinner, and they were having a drink, and she was staying. And they then decided that they were going off into the town for a drink, and I wasn't going to go. And I had texted you saying, listen, I can watch this tonight if you're wanting to record earlier. And after a brief discussion, we decided we're going to do it tonight anyway. So I left it. Thank God. Because if I had watched this last night... You would have been out to get them. Aye. Yeah. I genuinely think I would have phoned and said, you just have to come home. I'm going to come and get you. Mm-hmm. Um... It's like what I was saying, I think when we were talking about I spit on your grave and you do the same, you kind of transpose your own family and loved ones into these horrific situations and that's what impacts on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm terrible for that with, with things like anything to do with kids or people's wives or something like that, you know. And where I spit on your grave kind of failed to do that, this film didn't. You know, by the end, of it, all I could think of was, you know, Sometimes you know, me and my wife will go out and if she's not in the mood, she'll go home early. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no fucking big deal. She just can't bear. She's going to go home. All right, I'll see you, see you when I go home. You know, it, it's as simple as that and something like this kind of happened. And, and I'm so fucking glad that you had said, no, we'll do it tonight. Because mm-hmm. I was able to watch it in the afternoon when I knew she was just upstairs. Yeah. Um, it's a... It's a fucking strange film. It... You're right, I mean, you call it art house. It's not art house to the extent of Antichrist in my mind. And the Antichrist, I kind of struggled sometimes to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Once you've twigged that this thing works in reverse order, the film makes sense. What's art yeah. house about it is the way that it is filmed. Yeah. In, in my mind. Um, and I, this kind of almost vertigo inducement that it had this effect that it had with me was not pleasant because I was feeling physically a bit shit kind of the way I get with some found footage stuff um, and then on top of that you're getting these really graphic brutal kind of pummeling scenes coming at you certainly for the first half of it you know up until that rape scene um, yeah it was it's not a film I liked yeah the, the movie like this film at all the, the the way you were talking about potentially having a kind of arty reason as to why it gets lighter towards the beginning yeah. um, 
to me the movie is trying to the, the movie starts you at the end with this brutal attack uh-huh. from two people on one person and then it jumps before that and each time it jumps before it I think it is trying to make you re-examine that end sequence so you see these two guys attack this guy in a gay club and of course what you think to yourself is that is absolutely horrific there is no justification for that so when you jump back yeah it almost seems homophobic as well because some of the language used it's terrible by the the, the kind of main character the main male character is extremely homophobic yeah I mean this movie has been criticised as being one of the most homophobic movies ever made um, yeah. by by critics alike right. um, but what I think the movie is trying to do is each time it takes you back to see what preceded that is almost making you re-examine that end sequence to ask you is it justifiable that they did it now knowing yeah. this part of the story is it justifiable yeah. so when you reach right back to the very beginning you realise that she's pregnant mm-hmm. and not only has she been raped but pretty much beaten to to close to death's door and there's a very good chance she probably has lost that child and all the rest at that stage does the beginning justify the end Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is a very powerful I mean um, Memento does exactly the same its central message is exactly the same the movie starts at the end then works as a series of five ten minute clips before the the point right back to the beginning Um, I think Memento does it better. Um, I actually really like the beginning stroke end of Memento better than this. But this movie is incredibly visceral and the reason I think they use the the kind of the, the Pimden music and the really ridiculous camera twisting and all the rest at the end is that our characters are descending further and further into a world which they're not familiar with and further further into this vengeance mm-hmm. and this idea of uh, that great line about uh, when embarking on vengeance remember and pack two shovels one for the person you're going to bury and one to bury yourself mm-hmm. um, and that's basically what happens the, the the biggest thing about this is the guy that they kill isn't the guy they're after it's not the it's not the rapist the rapist God, I didn't actually catch up on that pick no, up on that he's, he's the other guy so they kill they kill the friend the rapist. They don't actually even kill the rapist. Uh, so ultimately, yeah, I that because there's a say the, the the club is quite very disorienting. Yeah, and obviously at the bit where they kill him, you don't have a fucking clue what's going on. Yeah, you know He's, you're familiar. By the time the rape scene has happened, you're familiar with that character. This tenure character. God, yeah. I never even picked up on that. Yeah, so they so kill he, the wrong guy. So they kill the wrong guy. So they're they're both going to go to jail, um, for the vengeance they set out to get for someone who committed this unspeakable act and they are going to go to jail probably for the rest of their life for killing someone who isn't the right guy I've actually, sorry to interrupt here that is quite interesting because I haven't picked up on that, but according to the, the full plot synopsis in IMDB, the rape and beating scene lasts for 9 minutes of screen time There you go. now, I can't stress and that it is. it's just, it's solid and as I say, I don't know if it was filmed in one fucking take but it certainly looks like it certainly was. feels like it. If it you feels know, like I mean, a, a one-shot take. Um, yeah, I mean, about three minutes into it, I was like, "That this is going on for hours." Yeah, you know I and, I mean? and it's it, it's deliberately done that way yeah. in order to make you feel that. I mean, in total, I think me and Andy doing the doing the nasty show. I think Andy had counted how much time 
there is of rape and I spit in your grave and there was over 20 minutes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there you go less time on this screen infinitely more effective and once again I'm not comparing rape scenes you know oh, that, yeah, but, exactly. we're not ranking rapes here yeah, yeah we're, exactly. we're, we're basically we're basically saying about the, the, the extent that cinema has changed that you can do this in a movie now um, and this is 2002 so it's 13 years old this movie mm. um, it's I mean, there's a lot. There's been a lot of criticism about this movie. Um, it's an incredibly polarizing movie, as you can imagine, the subject matter and all. Um, there's been a lot of criticism flung at Gaspar Noe, basically saying to him that he's made an incredibly homophobic, uh, homophobic um, movie, mm-hmm. and his justification for it is not great. Um, he says himself. Uh, and I quote that he is one of the masturbating visitors to the gay club in there so by portraying a gay person who's masturbating over this violence he is not claiming that he's better than gays he is one of them which that's pretty fucking tenuous a bit thin you know what I mean it's so thin I can see through it Um, but I think the, the purpose of it is to, to, to force the the viewer to this exaggerated extent of this 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 gay pimp that would you know beat up his transsexual prostitutes and you know attack and brutally rape a woman would go to a club like this um is you know I, I, I can't get on board with that. I you know I mean I, I think it's I think it's his way of. I think it's just an experimental use of of cinema to make the viewer uncomfortable, um, and yeah. I think that's that's how he. To me, that's how he uses it. Um, no dissimilar to your average exploitation cinema maker who would use particular tropes in a movie to gauge a reaction. It's not that dissimilar to putting baby rape in um, something like uh, a Serbian film. From the shock value. It reminds me, and it kind of made me feel the same way that a Serbian film did, but. It doesn't have any of the stupid, gratuitous yeah. kind of bits yeah. that a Serbian film does. Yeah. You know, there's only really two particularly horrific scenes in this film. Yeah. They are both extreme in the extreme, um, but they both work. There, there's all of, like, we, We've done a Serbian film on this segment of the show mm-hmm. in the past. I made my feelings quite clear. I hate that film. I'm the same. Um, and not because of, you know, the, the extreme bits in it. It's some of the other bits in it. There's just no fucking need for them. It it just lessens the impact. This film doesn't have that. Because the, the, the other scenes are quite interesting and quite well done. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and you've got extremely good actors doing it. Yeah. Um, it, it's just these two... Kind of scenes, um, yeah, but the, the the two scenes are almost seen as uh, you you to view them on some level as bookends. Yeah, you know what I mean uh, the the act itself of the rape is the catalyst for what happens at the end, which is the brutal beating. The the th- the thing about it is that of those two scenes, the rape is the more unpleasant one, mm-hmm. um, and the rape far. is yeah the rape is the one where you don't physically see 
you see it from a different angle, so you're not seeing penetration or anything like that. Because yeah, you important. see it from the opposite angle. So yeah, so you, you're not actually it. physically seeing it. What's interesting about it is when we come to the violence at the end of the movie, we see everything, and the camera yeah. doesn't pull away. And I think it's a really an interesting and incredibly clever and bold way to shoot a film and that the scene that we see nothing that we put our own it's what I've always said some of the most effective pieces in cinema are the ones that leave it to your own imagination um, and don't feel the need to sometimes show in more lessens the impact this movie the the horrificness of that rape um, the length of it and all the rest is because we are not experiencing the ordeal um as she's experiencing the audio, we're seeing it from a spectator's position, slightly removed and at a weird angle. And that in itself, with the dialogue and all the rest, is what makes that scene so powerfully unpleasant and horrible. Um, when you jump to the violence at the end, it is very graphic, it is in your face, it's disturbing to watch, it's, it's very uncomfortable and disturbing to watch. Um, but the camera doesn't move, so the violence... And you could also you could also see that you could see these movies and like that's the beauty of kind of art house cinema is that you can you could put as much as you want in it. it could be a message about how violence is portrayed on the TV as to how sex is portrayed on the TV and um, you know I mean like certain scenes having more poignance because you don't get to see what is going on the, the movie itself I think. I think it's an incredible movie. Uh, I know that you you were just telling me you don't like it. I it's not a movie I like to watch. I think it's an incredible movie. Yeah, I think that's probably a better description of my feelings towards that. Because look, films like a Serbian film or Cannibal Holocaust and these types of things, I just fucking hate. They're just horrible, nasty wee fucking films. Yeah. Do you know? I mean, this isn't. It is quite clever, but. I just couldn't see myself watching it again, unless it was for something like this, you know, if somebody invited us on yeah. to a show or something to talk about it, possibly. I wouldn't relish the thought of watching this film again, and it's funny, I've got certain films, I'm going to need to get like, one of these gun safes people have in America, Yeah. and I'm going to keep these films in there so my daughter never fucking sees them. I've already had to point out Cannibal Holocaust, because she rakes about sometimes in amongst my horror films, and I've already had to point out ones like Cannibal Holocaust and don't ever watch it. Here's yeah. why I don't want you to watch it. You won't like it, you know, and this is why. And then she goes, oh, no, I'm not watching that. But it's how you would even fucking explain this film here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, uh, but you're in exactly the same boat as me. I had seen this movie precisely one time before we did this show tonight. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I said at the end of it, I would never watch a movie again. I chose it because I know of how it made me feel. Yeah, and I wondered if you'd feel the same way. It turns out, Baz, you felt the same way I did. Yeah, um, and you are in exactly the same position I was at the end of that movie, in a position of I will probably never watch this movie again unless I really have to. Uh -huh. Unless you know someone asks me to review it on a show, or you know someone who wants to watch the movie but doesn't think they'll be able to get through it wants someone to sit and go through it with them that has been through the experience. I'll go through it with them, but yeah, it's not a movie that you know I, I i relish or you know it's on this it's on this list of unsettling cinema for a reason and the whole purpose of the unsettling cinema bracket is to kind of introduce this idea of cinema which kind of pushes the boundaries into territory which is infinitely dark um and this movie certainly does that mm -hmm. um it's yeah it's, it's, it's a, it is an incredible movie 
for all its flaws, it has a lot of flaws. I do probably fall into the camp of that. I think this movie is pretty homophobic. The the dialogue, especially, is the portrayal of gays and the the dialogue at the end of the movie is. I mean, even when the police officers are are, are shouting to the the guy who's been arrested that. They hope that you know he's going to get raped in prison, and they yeah. hope that they don't have condoms, and he'll get AIDS. And I'm like, that is just such a fucking narrow-minded, narrow, mm. narrow-minded view of how the world works. It's so narrow-minded, and it's it's put in there once again. The the justification for it maybe is to lay down the benchmark of how horrible this act is at the end of the movie, and as we move backwards the audience member at what point of learning all these different aspects basically culminating with this idea of her being pregnant with his his child at what level does the the actions at the end of this movie become justifiable um, which I think is an incredible message I mean I, mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult to pull off I think this movie pulls it off I, I've got questionable there's questionable uh, content or the way it's done, but I think the central message is, is incredibly fascinating. Um, is there anything else you want to really say about this movie before we we uh, <laughs> before I ask you the question and take a short break? No, I don't. I don't think so. I will, I will speak a little bit more about it when I give my reasons for my my verdict. Right. So, um, which makes me think I'm not going to get the answer that I want here. Um, so, in this incomparable battle. Baz, the 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 their gargantuan task of two scaling titans on top of a hill, one being <laughs> the Baz, the other one being Halloween, who are fighting to the death, um, and the immortal pantheon, the stage, the stage of battle, the war field. I need to ask you in this round of Baz v Halloween, who won, Baz or Halloween? After lengthy deliberation. I'm going to have to give this one to Halloween. Really? That is not where I thought you were going. No, I got that from what you were saying there. I think here's why. Um, what I didn't like about I at the end of it, having you having explained the you know the reason is here's the horrific act, right? Now do you think it's okay? Now do you think it's okay? Now do you think it's okay? Yeah. You know that that concept's quite clever. Right, that I missed that. I didn't get. It. I knew it was working its way back, but like I say, I'm not particularly great at this kind of stuff. So that had gone over my head, and I just kind of my thinking was, oh, "Fuck, you know this film. Why did you do it this way? If you just done it the other way, you know, if you just done it in a normal time signature, it would have had a much greater effect on me." Right. That's my fucking problem, though, do you know what I mean? That's because I don't deal well with films that are kind of a bit, bit more out there and a bit more cerebral, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was thinking, no, I think probably that goes to me kind of thing. But it was, I think it was the realisation that had I watched this last night, yeah. in all honesty, I would have had to phone my wife and told her to come home. And mm. that I was coming to get her and her pal, um, and I have found, you know, that I said with the I spit on your grave, it doesn't really come back to haunt me in any kind of way. Since I watched this film, I've thought about it an awful lot. You know, it has got into my head, and this is 
this was your aim with this, these unsettling cinema mm-hmm. films that we've picked as, as the partner movies for this year. So in, in that in that context, it's done its job. Um, and yeah, for a film to, to frighten me that much that I, you know, would have probably dragged my fucking wife back from a night out with a pal. Yeah. And and, I, and I'm not saying that glibly. I, I really do think I would have. I think I would have phoned her and told her she had to come home. That, you've got to give that to Halloween. I can't possibly say that I beat that. Right, there you go. I, I genuinely thought just, just with what he said just before that um, I was going to have to be be sitting in a position with you four points four points yeah. up and close to the close to the 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 tie mark um, but no that's that's a yeah. I, said, I said in episode one that I'm go, there's no point in not being honest about any of these things and, and I have deliberated since I watched the film mm-hmm. I've been humming and on because I got to the end of the film not really knowing you know because obviously I think right recording tonight and what am I going to say here yeah. and I, I didn't really know it, and it's taken me quite a while to get to that conclusion but it's for those reasons and I think yeah, I just had to accept that. If I'm true to myself, that's the case. Right. Yeah. Thank you very much, Baz. Right. So that's a a point pulled back for um, yep. for Halloween. So we're sitting at three two, and we have one more movie review to go. It's in the found footage bracket. Um, we are going to be watching this movie both for the first time. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, this is my wild card. Uh, let's see if gambling does pay off. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not much of a gambler. Um, except on that sports ball. Can't get enough of that sports ball. <laughs> um, myself and the Baz are going to take a, a stiff shot of whiskey, I think, um, mm-hmm. after after that one and try, try our hardest to put the events of Irreversible out our mind because we have another movie to discuss. Uh, we are going to play a couple of promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for our second and final movie review of Baz v Halloween 2015 episode number three. It is Lake Mungo from 2008. Myself and Baz, back to chat about that movie right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. You know those old-time radio shows with the married couples who bicker about the kids and the car and the neighbors? Our podcast is a lot like that. Yeah. Well, if you replace the kids, the car, and the neighbors with devil movies, theology, and vodka. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. And we are the hosts of Kiss the Goat, a different kind of movie podcast. Every episode, we review a devil movie. You know, possessions, exorcisms, the Antichrist, and we stomp a mud hole in it, even if we like it. We are huge fans of comparative religion, and we love to compare real belief systems with what Hollywood seems to think belief systems are. But don't think we're not civic-minded, because each episode includes our Satan in the News segment, where our fearless correspondent, Sin Fallon, documents the eternal struggle between good and evil. And, as high-functioning alcoholics, we give every movie its own drinking game, so that you can enjoy the movie just like we did, ripped to the tits. (laughs) 
<laughs> and there is ever so much more to the show than that. And let me tell you, it ain't for kids. Hell, it ain't for most adults. But it might be for you. You won't know until you listen to Kiss the Goat exclusively on the Legion Network of Podcasts. That's Kiss the Goat. We're the lighter side. Of the dark side. <laughs> feel like something bad is going to happen to me. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. The normally tranquil setting of Ararat's mortal dam Ten days after Ellie's funeral, stuff started happening around the house. Sounds seemed to come from Ellie's old room. They didn't really relent, so I thought, well... I'll just set up a camera to, you know, see anything. I looked back and there was footage of a figure moving across the hallway. The image was quite unsettling because it certainly looked like Alice. Don't you close your eyes? I usually uh, videotape my sessions. Something was happening inside that house and I wanted to find out what it was. We checked the tapes. There was a ghost in our house. Alice kept secrets. She kept the fact she kept secrets a secret. Something bad is going to happen to me. Alice knew she was going to die. I feel like something bad has happened. It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. It's getting closer. And welcome back. So, this is the second movie review of this part three of Baz v Halloween 2015. This is our found footage feature of this show and um, I chose a movie that I had never seen before. Um, This one is featured on many lists, uh, most notably actually featured on one of the listener suggestions for a Baz v Horror many moons ago uh, for found footage and that particular vote Cannibal Holocaust one out um, and so uh, we never got a chance to see this one and it's it's been constantly recommended to me through through maybe the last five years and I, I don't know why it took me so long to, to finally sit down and watch it so this is one of these rare occasions where in fact very rare occasions where me and Baz are both talking about a movie that neither one of us had seen beforehand so um, without any further ado let me tell you what that movie is it's Lake Mungo from 2008 um, it was directed and written by Joel Anderson the movie stars Rosie Trainer, David Pledger, Martin Sharp Talia Zucker, Tanya Lenti, uh, Cameron Strachan, Judith Roberts, Robert Cumming, Marcus Costello, other folks are in here. There is the very briefest of synopsis uh, or synopses on um, the, the IMDb's. It just says a supernatural drama about grief, um, which is kind of, but that that's like saying the Exorcist is a movie, a movie about a possessed girl. You know, it doesn't really give much. You know, <laughs> just doesn't really give much away. Um, in some ways, that quite benefits this movie. And obviously, the trailer's played now. Um, we're halfway through our found footage features. Uh, for those keeping score, they will know that the last broadcast fucked Baz up. 
Uh, they will also know that the Den uh, Baz enjoyed but didn't really make an impact. So I know for a fact there are people eagerly out there wanting to know what you made of Late Mungo. But what I will say, Baz, is towards the end of this review, I am going to read out the text you sent me <laughs> right when this movie finished, um, which will maybe underline and put the final full stop and stamp um, as to what you make of this movie. So, my friend, you uh, sat down late last night in the dark like I wanted you to and you watched Lake Mungo. Please tell the audience out there what you made of this movie. Don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of huffed to Baz. I know, I know. Um, Yeah, yeah, Lake Mungo. Like you say, Duncan, um, this one was your wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, having not seen this film yourself, uh, as you say, um, after week two there, um, I'd taken a 3-1 lead. Um, felt like I was cruising kind of thing. I think you were slightly concerned at what way this was going to go this year. Um, yeah. And yeah, risky moving your part, big man, throwing in a film you've not actually seen yourself. Yes, I like to gamble every now and again, Baz. <laughs> uh, the first thing about Lake Mungo, I had no idea this was an Australian film, literally until the first line of dialogue came out, and I'm like, oh, this is Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I, I don't know if I thought it was fucking English or American or something. I, I, I just had no idea it was Australian. In fairness, I've, I've seen a few Australian horror films now, with the Wolf Creek ones, uh, with the Babadook, Wormwood, the kind of zombie. They've all been excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've enjoyed just about every Australian horror film I've seen so far. Um, particularly, they tend to be maybe at the lower end of the you know the budget kind of scale. Um, but there's always kind of strong storytelling, good acting, you know, good casting and stuff like that that carries them through. So I was quite pleased when I t- to discover it was an Australian one. Um, I was quite looking forward to it. Um, and actually, in thinking back now that you mention it, I think I actually voted for this film in the poll for the found footage. I think you're right. I think um, at the time it may have been uh, fellow podcaster Dan Chase that either suggested this movie in the poll or put a statement as to why he was wanting to see us tackle it. And if memory serves, you put your vote down against it purely based on what he had said. Yeah, that kind of rings a bell. I just I thought I quite liked the premise um, I think the name's quite cool as well. It gives fucking nothing away. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You might go out like, like Mungo. Maybe it's a big crocodile thing like that, like Placid one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe it's a massive turtle, like massive snapping turtle. <laughs> anyway, it's not that at all. It's as you say, it's a found footage from Dunkbell. It's more along the lines of like the last broadcast. It's like one of these faux documentaries. Um, I've seen a couple of them now. We saw the Poughkeepsie tapes, we saw the last broadcast. Both films that I loved, and mm-hmm. both films that I was pretty scared by, it has to be said. It seems to be a kind of style, a subgenre, if you like, uh, of found footage that hits home with me. Um, you know, both in terms of enjoyment and in sort of levels of fear. Yeah, well, you're a big documentary 
Watcher. Yeah, I love documentaries, yeah. yeah. And maybe that's where the impact comes in. Maybe it's taking something that you are very familiar with and it's just putting a sinister element into it, which is having that profound impact on you. Yeah, I also, it almost kind of lures me in. It's that way it kind of... I suppose a lot of found footage works in this way. You know, it kind of tricks you into forgetting that you're watching a film. Yeah. You know, um, while this looks like a documentary, it is a film that's made up. Um, but yeah, it's very easy to forget that and, and get drawn into the whole thing. Um, it's very basic premise. It's about a family and the daughter dies in kind of tragic circumstances, and, and it's what happens after that. Um, that's basically the whole premise of this documentary. Um, it's not kind of narrated in any way. It's if it is narrated, it's narrated by the, the people themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like an oral history book, if you like. You know, it's just snippets of conversations and interviews pieced together. Um, and basically, the, the film opens with a kind of garbled uh, nine 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 or nine one one or whatever the fuck they have in Australia <laughs> type call, um, an emergency call to the police. Uh, about a missing girl um, and I've got to say right at that it was very hard to make any of that out mm-hmm. and I was slightly concerned at that of oh god I wonder if the sound's really dodgy or something like my hearing's not the best in fairness there was nothing important missed at all all you had to know was they were phoning the fucking police because their daughter was missing basically there's a family of four the Palmers um, fathers uh, Russell uh, the mother's June the son Matt and the daughter Alice or Ali as they call her uh, they're essentially out for a kind of a day trip picnic whatever you'll call it um, at this lake which actually is not Lake Mungo which I didn't mm-hmm. find out too much later in the film that it just happens to be a lake um, and the the kids Alice and Matt now they're both teenagers you know they're, they're not wee kids by any means um, they're both around about the 16 mark I think around about there um, and they go swimming Matt comes back in and Ali doesn't um, she doesn't come back in um, and you know the family start kind of looking for them then things start to get more frantic panicked and then the phone calls made to the police and stuff the police turn up um, they are then sent home essentially, to just wait, you know, the police are going to do their job kind of thing, obviously things aren't looking great, and then they get the phone call um, sort of during the night or early the next morning uh, to tell them that a body's been found um, and could they come down to the morgue kind of thing and have a look. Um, and quite key to a lot of this film, it's the father that goes, uh, Russell goes down to check it out, the mother doesn't go and that does become quite important um, later on in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes down and they check it and sure enough it is, it's, it's Alice um, and we get to see the body uh, lying there um, it's quite disturbing the way the way it's been done um, very grey kind of bloated looking the lips are all black and cracked one eye's very badly kind of swollen shut and, and stuff like that, uh, it's a very jarring kind of image that we get um it's not like like we were talking off air about you know you mentioned some similarities. I think you're going to talk about them later on to, to the Twin Peaks. Um, now, obviously, I've just started watching Twin Peaks very recently, um, and one of the things that was fairly fresh in my mind was the, one of the early scenes where uh, they find Laura's body, Laura Palmer's body, in the beach, wrapped up, and when they, when it was unwrapped, if you like, and you see it in the morgue, she looks basically like the girl 
you know, Laura Palmer does in real life, but they've painted her grey type thing. Yeah, yeah. This isn't like that at all. It's very kind of graphic. It looks awful. It looks like she's been in the water for about three weeks kind of thing, you know what I mean? Um, this vision of her is, is actually, again, it's quite important. It comes in later on. So that's it. So Alice is dead. She's drowned. Family go about dealing with that and then coping with her grief and stuff, uh, which they do in varying kind of different manners. Um, the the dad he throws himself very heavily into his work. The son he's quite into photography and film work and stuff like that. It seems to be a hobby. Um, he is very into that. The mum rather telling she struggles quite badly. She doesn't see, appear to have a kind of avenue for her grief, if you like, and yeah. she struggles very badly to cope with the loss of her daughter. Um, over the next few months, they start talking about, you know, they, were, they started hearing noises in the house, in Alice's room, outside the house, stuff like that. Your typical kind of supernatural type element starting to creep into it now kind of thing, you know. Um, and you're like, that, oh, right, so this is it. So, nice and straightforward. The girl's drowned, she comes <laughs> back as a ghost. You know, for whatever reason. There'll be a reason she's come back, you know. Um, and a lot of the film focuses very much on the character of Matt, the brother. As I say, he, he's kind of into photography, and quite early on, it starts talking about a project that he's working on. It's a, kind of a time-lapsed photography idea where he's taking photographs out of his garden and then over the countryside towards the town kind of thing. And he's trying to take these photographs from the same spot, you know, every few weeks to show the sort of passing of the seasons type idea. Um, and he draws the, your attention, then gets drawn to one of these photographs that was taken a number, a good number of months after Alice's death. It just looks like a picture of the garden. And then the camera starts to move down and focus on this one particular section near the back fence. And as it gets closer and closer, you start to see this figure of a girl emerge. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's kind of blurred out. It's not crystal clear by any means, but it's very obviously like a girl with kind of long, dark hair. And they're saying, you know, that's Alice in this photograph kind mm-hmm. of thing. Really quite creepy looking, I've got to say. Um, and it, I can feel myself starting to get on edge a wee bit at this point. Um so they then talk about this, so now they've got this photograph and they've, uh, you know, there's the noises that they're all hearing and all this stuff. So the son, he then decides um, he's going to set up some video cameras uh, around the house to kind of capture if anything's going on, you know, when they're not about, basically, kind of thing. And again, I, I liked that. One of the things I really liked about this film is, like we say, it's, it's not pure found footage, it's not like the Blair Witch where you're literally watching a series of tapes that have been spliced together Yeah, um, it's a documentary a lot of the time it's interviews with the kind of key players, um, a lot of the time you're looking at still images and stuff like that where there is live action footage if you like there's always a decent reason for it you know, it makes sense that they would set these cameras up. It kind of initially, like, oh, here we go, it's paranormal activity, they've got fucking cameras everywhere. But he's just put one or two up to see if anything's happening at night because they're getting these weird noises. It, it does, you know, it makes sense. And all of these kind of bits scattered throughout this film, there's always a reason for it. There's none of this, oh, God, why you got a fucking camera with you? Do you know what I mean? That 
this film doesn't suffer from that problem, which is a big plus in my book kind of thing. Um, so anyway, yeah, so they've, they've got this these cameras set up in the house. Excuse me while I wet my whistle. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> and uh, there's a view in the tapes, and sure enough, at one point during one of the evenings, there's a small section of film which is focused on the hallway, which appears to see a this dark and kind of shadowy figure, mm-hmm. if you like, just pass by the end of the hall. Um, very creepy. Very creepy. Um, it's that classic kind of, you know it's a film, you know it's live moving pictures, but nothing's moving in the house, and then you just see this kind of shadow thing pass by the end. Uh, so, you know, at, at this point, there's, they're convinced that there's, you know, the house is haunted, that Ali's come back kind of thing. But more than that, the the mother at this point appears, she appears to kind of convince herself that Alice isn't dead. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there's mention made of earlier on as well about, uh, you know, they leave the light on outside now. Yeah. Oh, she's going to come home kind of thing, you know. And then when this stuff starts to happen, it seems to convince the mum that maybe she isn't dead, maybe a mistake was made, and this harks back to the fact that she never saw her. Yeah. She didn't go to the morgue, it was just the father. And she, it's not particularly accusatory, but she starts to say, you know, maybe you've made a mistake, you know, maybe it wasn't her. You know, you, the body was, decom- you know, not decomposed, but the body was all, you know, battered up and stuff like that. Um, so they go to the extent of having the body exhumed, um, and there's DNA testing carried out, and it proves inconclusively that it is Alice. So she is dead, and it's her that's in this grave kind of thing, you know. Um, I think it's right about this time, there's another um, photo comes out. Yeah. A kind of corroborating photograph. Yeah, from a different area, because all the, all the other yeah. pictures and the, the stuff that has happened has happened in the vicinity of the family house. Uh-huh. This one is taken uh, from the lake at a later date, and it's by a chap, he's some kind of park employee or something mm-hmm. like that, and he's carrying out some survey of water levels or something like that. He's taking lots of photographs, and in one of them, there is this small faint blurry image of a girl standing at the far side of the lake where Alice drowned and the family kind of take this as some kind of corroborating evidence you know because this was nothing to do with them they didn't take this photograph you know um, this guy had nothing to do with anything kind of thing and here he appears to this photograph of Alice or her ghost or whatever it is and that's quite key to a lot of it as well kind of thing Um they also employ at this point the services of a kind of psychic investigator slash therapist type thing. Video called, personality. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Ray Kemeny. Um As you say, he uh, has this kind of phone-in radio show mm-hmm. where the, the the mother had heard them on the radio before, you know, and she she freely kind of admits, you know, some people put a lot of faith in him, other people say he's a crank kind of thing, you know, so it's this, like you get with every psychic, you know, there's believers and there's non-believers. Um, but the mum brings him in um, to see if he can help, you know, with what's going on, tell him if the house is haunted, if they can communicate and so on. And she, he also uses kind of, um, 
hypnosis techniques, particularly on the mum. Um, she talks about getting into the room and feeling Alice still in the room and stuff like that, and she just describes in quite detail this one like journey, if you like, she had into Alice's room. Excuse me. They also um, conduct a seance, and which they film. And again, like I say, you would film a seance, you know, because they, they're kind of putting trances during it and stuff like that. So he films it so they can see what's going on. And um, nothing appears to happen during the seance. Um, there's no contact made, nothing like that. It seems a bit of a waste of time. But when they start reviewing this um, footage of it, mm-hmm. this image of a small face appears in the corner of the room. I was not enjoying it by this point, I've got to say. I was <laughs> fucking creepily unnerved. The The alarm bells were going off. I think it was probably around about this time as well. My wife went to bed. Now, as per your instructions, I watched the, all of these films in the dark at night. It's my, my, my old breakfast uh, take. Watch a horror film in broad daylight over breakfast in your pyjamas technique has been brushed aside yeah um and i i go for the full-on immersion which is a stupid stupid fucking idea no it's the, the time this is the listen we are we are in halloween time now right this is this is october baz if you're gonna watch these movies and you want the full experience of how you should watch these movies you need to watch them in the dark do it right well i did um and about half an hour in uh, my wife decided she was going upstairs, she wasn't interested, she was going to go to her bed. And rather tellingly, at that point, I said to her, right, have you checked all the back door and the kitchen's all locked up and everything? <laughs> now, <laughs> my back doors are big patio doors and they look out onto a pitch black garden, there's no street behind my house, it's, it's a kind of wasteland type thing, mm-hmm. so it's pitch black. And... I was already concerned about going and shutting the blinds and checking the door and everything before I went to my bed. So I basically had her do it so that all I had to do was go up the stairs. That was quite telling because at this point this film's not really kicked up yet um, but I was already starting to feel a bit like that. Um, yeah, so yeah, so they've had the seance we've then seen this image of the face so that's it, it's dead easy. The daughter drowned, she's come back to haunt them. Why mm-hmm. she's back to them, that's, that's where we're going. And I think it's round about this point that this film... This film throws a couple of really serious fucking curveballs mm-hmm. at the, the viewer. It flips you on your arse a couple of times till you don't really know what the fuck is going on. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, I don't mean it's one of these stupid films that just confuses you, it's not like that. You just don't ever see any of this stuff coming. The first one is, and the father, he's kind of narrating, narrating at this point, he says, yeah, and, and then the such and such video came out. And this is like, you know, you hear him talking about Bigfoot and stuff, and the, you know, the, the, the Jones film from 1967, you know, the, the name after the person that filmed the crime. Yeah. This is basically a home video that was shot by a couple who were down at the lake the day that the park worker was there, the day that this corroborating photograph of Alice was taken. And 
you know, the, 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 the thing with Alice and that, it was getting kind of local news coverage and that. They saw this in the news and realised that this photograph had been taken the day that they were there. So they then go back through their footage. And again, this is kind of proper found footage, you know, they're messing about on the beach, the camera's going backwards and forwards and stuff like that. And then they freeze it. And there is just a kind of like second long piece of film where you see in the distance this figure emerge from behind a tree. And this is the figure that the guy had photographed, because tellingly as well, they'd also filmed him. Mm-hmm. You could see he was quite far away, so they're effectively on the other side of this water now, where this figure of Alice was. And the figure looks up, and again, it's kind of blurred. It's not crystal clear by any means, but you see that it is, in fact, Matt, the son. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the fuck is going on there? And then very quickly, he's on screen and he's basically saying, yeah, I had faked it all. And you're like, what What the fuck? You know, the film's only halfway through by this point, if that. Like, so it was all faked. Well, what the fuck are we doing for the rest of the film type thing? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Turns out, um, like, for instance, the photograph, he explains that the photograph in the garden was just kind of camera trickery, basically taking another image of her and then exposed it over the top of the image of the garden to make it look like it was this ghostly apparition over at the foot of the garden. Um, a lot of the film footage, um, bits that we've not mentioned, there's quite a lot of bits where you appear to be looking in a mirror, you know, the filming in the hall and there's yeah. a mirror in the back and you can see a face in the mirror. He then explains that he basically done that by playing a video, like a whole movie of Alice on a telly and then angling the the mirror so it just caught her face on the television type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically admits that he had faked all of this kind of stuff. Um, and I think he kind of implies that he did it, you know, it was almost like to give his mum something to focus on because she was struggling really badly. I can't really remember the, the proper reasoning behind it, but... It's clear that it wasn't done maliciously. He wasn't being a little shit yeah. or trying to get famous himself. He appeared to be doing it in a rather misguided attempt to help his mum type thing. So, yeah, so that's what that is. So you're left straight. And I've got to say, I really like that because you didn't see that coming. Well, I didn't see that coming mm-hmm. at all. I'm like, what the fuck, man? And then you're going, right, well, Where's this film going now type thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but then, you know, the, the, the sidekick guy, Kemney, he's still been coming to the house and stuff like that. Anyway, he's going up country um, to do, like, a, a seance tour or some bollocks like that. He wants it filmed. So they agree to let Matt go with him. He's getting kind of, you know, like shit off the local media and all that when they found out this was all a big hoax. Um, so they think they'll get him out the way he, he can go off with the psychic guy do a bit of filming for him and things will calm down but while they're away there is another I can't remember if it's in video or if it's a photograph but basically there's another sighting of this ghost of Alice and it's pointed out you know, there's no possible way he could have did it he wasn't anywhere near the place you know he was with the other guys he didn't get up and know he was with me you know so then you're going, right, so there is a fucking ghost. 
what you know what the fuck's going on kind of thing is really quite fucking confusing through a kind of chain of events that I can't really recall they, they start going back through all of the video and the sort of photographic footage again and I think it's the one the, the footage of the shadow in the hall and they start to show it again and then they freeze it just before the, the figure kind of moves across the end of the hallway and they then start to pan down across the image down to the right and into another room that was off in the right that didn't really that wasn't really in your line of sight when you're watching it the first time the first time you're watching this you're staring at this end of this hall because you know something's going to happen yeah sure enough this shadow can thing comes over it takes you down and there is a face crouching in the corner of the room I'm not going to lie I fucking shat myself <laughs> Because we've basically been told that the the shadowy figure is a fake. Yeah. But look, you never fucking saw this over here. And then what really fucking got me is you hear the dad's voice coming over the top of it saying, and as we looked at it, we realised it was our neighbour, Brett Toohey. And I'm like, oh my God, so it's not even a ghost. There's somebody in their fucking house. Mm-hmm. This just fucking flat out terrified me I was losing my shit by this point to be honest Um, the figure's crouched down it turns out this room is Alice's bedroom and Mm -hmm. this figure's kind of crouched down at the back now obviously this was filmed months and months previously, you know, months have passed since that film was made of of the hallway Um, the Parents then go and investigate the room and over where he was creeping about there's a cupboard and in there they find this locked safe or kind of strong box type idea with a lock on it. Yeah. Which they seem to have a key for. They open it up, it's all Alice's stuff, there's a diary and there's a videotape. And they play the videotape and it's this Brett Toohey, their neighbour, having sex with Alice on a bed. Mm-hmm. Then his wife comes in and joins in. And we then find out that the twoies are basically their neighbours. So there's a mum, dad, and there was two kids, two boys, um, both kind of under 10 or 10 and under type ideas, smaller children. And the dad says, you know, Alice had basically been babysitting those boys for a couple of years. Now, as I say, I think Alice is supposed to be around about 16 here. Mm. So we're starting to... You know, it's wavering on the border, you know, is, is this is there an element of child abuse here? So then my head's going, oh, this is what it is, right? So she was abused by this couple and she's gone and killed herself. You know, mm-hmm. she's struggled to cope with it and killed herself kind of thing. Um, and from the little st- taglines I've read in the DVD case and that said, it says, you know, in, in these... Uh, bef- here two unknown events start to come to light kind of thing and I was like alright so it's like a a child abuse type thing you know but the sex scene's quite odd Um, at the start it's just her and him and she seems to be enjoying the experience Mm -hmm. doesn't it doesn't look like a rape or a molestation type thing 
Um, I'm always very careful what I say when I'm talking about these type of things because, I, I, again, we never, ever want to belittle any of these types of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then just towards the end of it, she makes this noise that kind of implies that possibly she's in some kind of pain. So you're left kind of going, right, I'm not sure. Was she being molested there? Or is it some weird fucking thing that she had going with the neighbours, you know, that was voluntary, if you like, on her part to an extent. I appreciate if she's underage, then, you know, that doesn't matter. Uh, but, you know, it, it didn't look forced. Um, uh, there's a kind of jubilee about it that leaves you wondering just exactly what's going on. And obviously the parents are fucking floored by this, do you know what I mean? Essentially, our neighbours have been jagging their child. Yeah. Um, and as I say, I think this is about nine months after her death. So this film was made a few months after the death. This was obviously the the neighbour in the house trying to find that he knew the existence of this tape and had to find it before the parents did. Or him and his wife were going to end up in jail. They failed to find it. And when they found out that they basically sold, off, sold up their house and fucked off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd obviously kind of decided we're going to need to run type thing. Um, so that's the first kind of like the first kind of example of not everything was right here you know this wasn't just a nice happy family and there was a tragic accident happened to the daughter and she came back there appears to be now a side of the girl that we don't know there's a couple uh, of other characters um teenage characters the Whittle uh, I think they're a brother and sister the Whittles the brother appears to have been Alice's boyfriend like high school boyfriend mm-hmm. and the sister like, it just appears there was a crowd of them all running about together that kind of age um, and the the sister kind of implies that maybe you know there was more to her than people thought um, the the boyfriend, he's kind of like, no, of course I didn't know, but I would never have been where if I'd known she was sleeping with the fucking married guy next door type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then, though, I, another bit, that can, we then find out as well that the, the psychic guy, Kemney, had apparently been treating Alice prior to her death. Yeah. Alice had gone to him over terrible nightmares she was having. She was having dreams about dying, about drowning. Uh, you know, like visions of trying to talk to her mum and her mum couldn't hear her and stuff like that. Um, she was struggling very badly and he had, you know, done this kind of hypnotherapy type thing where, of course, the parents are furious when they find out about this, that he had actually had this other prior relationship with Alice before her death and not told them kind of thing, you know, and he kind of said, well, you know, I didn't want it to cloud their opinion of me, you know, and I wanted to try and help them and blah, blah, blah. Um, There's then footage comes to light from, I think it's one of these Whittle kids. Yeah. It's phone footage from a kind of school or youth camp thing that they'd been on maybe a year or year and a half previously uh, that Alice had been on with them. Um, to a place called Lake Mungo which is where the film gets its name from so it's not this lake at the start this Lake Mungo becomes key now in the film uh, and it's just it's phone footage 
you know, typical fucking kids, team camp, they're up all night, campfires, probably drinking, stuff like that, um, messing about. But there's a very brief bit where they appear to see kind of Alice walking away, and then there's a further bit later on where it very faintly it looks like she it's Alice kneeling down burying something. And the parents kind of get to see this, and then the dad sort of starts talking about um, she when she came back from that camp, she'd been kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, her brand new phone was gone, her watch, her jewellery and all that, all her personal kind of stuff was gone. Um, and it, she'd just not been really the same after she came back from that. Think they'd kind of written it off as like teenage fucking problems or something I don't know but they did make note of this so they then decide that maybe there was more to this like Mungo thing than they were aware of that, so that they're going to travel up because in the, the the camera footage stuff um, there's a couple of landmarks like a very distinctive tree and stuff like that so they can roughly kind of estimate where she would have been when this was getting filmed mm-hmm so they head out there and they find um, a bag buried with her phone and her watch and her jewellery and all that in it. And they can't figure out what, why she buried all her personal stuff. You know, it came apparent it was her that had done this. So they sort of get back home, they get the phone fired up and there's, there's um, camera footage on the phone. And it's her walking off into the bush if you like for a while and then we start to see there's something kind of else appears on the screen and it starts to get bigger and it's coming towards her and we see it's a figure mm-hmm. kind of quite pale kind of almost white walking out the darkness towards her and it gets closer and closer and you start to make out features and that and it's this other girl and then it basically goes right up to her and then they freeze it and I didn't pick up on this right away, but the dad basically says it's the face of the body I saw in the morgue. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially Alice. She has seen herself after she's dead. And then the footage kicks back in and we get this one kind of jump scare in this film where the, you know, this character lurches towards the camera kind of thing. The camera falls. Really kind of traditional kind of found footage type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I fucking shat myself <laughs> I really really did I utterly shat myself because by this point he's now fucking got me convinced that she's just seen herself you know and then it fucking attacks her um, oh god this isn't easy um, he then basically says so I, I'm like what the fuck is going on now do you know what I mean? I thought they said that body there was definitely her. So then he starts saying, right, this is what I think happened. And this is, this is, I quite dug this about Lake Mungo that you're not, in my mind, you're not really given a definitive answer to this film, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really matter that they don't. This film is good enough that it can survive without that, in my mind. In fact, I think it benefits from it. He basically says, what I think happened was Alice saw a ghost and it was a ghost of herself and it gave her a kind of vision of her death and her own mortality kind of thing 
So basically what we're left with is this happened to her out there and she came back kind of knowing how she was going to die mm-hmm. and what was going to happen to her. We then tie this back into these sessions she was having with the the psychic guy, you know, and these nightmares and that, they were all obviously clearly caused by what she'd experienced out there at Lake Mungo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of what happened. What happens after that in the film, we then start to see footage of her... Um, interviews with the psychic crossed with footage of her mum they're kind of packing up the house to leave and her mum goes into her room and then it dawned on me that when her mum's going through the room it's what she had described previously to the psychic and it's what Alice is describing mm-hmm. and she's saying you know I can see my mum coming into the room and I'm trying to talk to her she can't hear me and all this you know and the mum had said you know I see myself walking into the room and I can feel her there and everything and it, it's like this idea that they're kind of pass, they're passing each other in the spirit world almost kind of thing. Now, I quite dug this because what, what, what you believe happens after you die, it doesn't really fucking matter. If you believe that there's some further existence, if you like, I, I personally like to believe that in that plane, if you will, you know, what we regard as the laws of time and physics and that don't apply. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it's a completely different existence. And that perhaps, you know, these spirits can sort of travel through periods of time, because you start to realise that time is quite jumbled up in terms of when these interviews are happening and what's happening in this room and when they're talking about... It's clearly the same thing they've been talking about, the same, you know. And it's quite confusing, but again... It's okay because in my head I'm going. Well, you you shouldn't be able to understand that because this is what happens after you die, and it's not within our makeup to understand that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that's how I was okay just to put it aside and go right. Doesn't really matter how that happened. That's what happened, and that kind of like fuck it, just go with it. It's what makes the film great. I think you know it just carries you through the film to the end of it, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so we get this bit, so they've obviously kind of been passing each other as spirits, if you like, or one was a spirit and the other wasn't, whatever. The film pretty much kind of ends there. It finishes on a um, an image of the three of them, the mum, the dad and the son in the garden. We've seen this image at the start of the film. It's actually a video footage that they're taking, but they're standing still in it. And then it freezes. And it starts to fucking pan over to this window behind them, and there's a figure in this window. I swear, even knew I'm getting fucking chills back thinking about this. Did you watch the credits? Yes, yes, Baz. I, 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 I watched the credits. So did I. <laughs> did you enjoy the credits, Baz? No. <laughs> Right, here's my fucking rant. <laughs> and when I say no, I, d- I don't mean that the credits ruined this film. In case anybody's going, oh my god, did the credits ruin this film? They absolutely do not ruin this film at all. But, 
Ever since fucking Marvel started dropping all this post-credit easter egg shit into all their films, I've developed this fucking inability to get to the end of a film and just fucking switch off. I have to fast forward through the credits to make sure I don't miss a fucking three-second cameo by fucking thing with Del Toro or something like that, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but recently I've tried to wean myself off that by going, it's just Marvel. If you're not watching a Marvel film, nobody else does it, so fucking calm down. And as the credits started in this film, I remember thinking to myself, right, this is a, I'm assuming a relatively cheaply made film. Mm-hmm. All of these kind of found footage ones tend to be. Um, they're definitely not going to do post-credit stuff. And just as I was about to fucking turn it off, the first few screens of credits had come up and then a photograph came up. And I kind of looked. And it's the photograph from the garden earlier on. The kind of very iconic one that started it all, if you like. And it kind of zooms over to the figure that we see there that we know that the character of Matt had kind of superimposed on the garden image to make it look like a ghost. And then the fucking camera starts to pan over to the right of the fil- the picture. And right at the back, in the corner, very small, Alice is sitting on a chair. Watching this. By this point, I'm fucking drenched in my own urine, right? <laughs> Figuratively, not physically, but I, I really, I, I was rattling, and there's about four of these <laughs> sort of pictures uh, like still frames and it's all of the pictures and stuff that we saw earlier on that were basically disproved mm. but it pans to a different part of the photograph and there's something there one of the ones for instance the, the video footage that was used to debunk all of the stuff at the start the video taken by the couple at the lake and we see uh, Matt coming out from behind the tree and then it pans down and up and right in the back there's a tiny little figure of Alice watching I was a fucking blubbering wreck <laughs> by the end of these credits you sent me a text Baz tell them what I put in the text um, so I got a text last night um, I just finished watching the film as well at half past 11 at night and it says oh my god fuck you McLeish and fuck these goddamn movies and I asked you what was up Baz I was like what's up you went I was literally too scared to get up and put the light on at the end of that fucking film yep (laughs) without a word of a lie I was genuinely (laughs) as I say my wife went upstairs I'm a half new writing this film for the next hour I kept having to look round the room as I was watching the film Mm-hmm. to make sure there wasn't a wee face in the corner of the fucking room somewhere I was utterly terrified by this film and when it finished I'm sitting in the dark all I want is the light to be on and I genuinely had to psych myself up <laughs> to walk I live in a new built fucking house my living room is not the biggest living room in the world you've been in it plenty of times you know the fucking size of it <laughs> To get to the door to hit the switch was a monumental fucking achievement last night. Um, getting upstairs, I practically ran up the stairs mm-hmm. to my fucking bed by the end of this. I I 
I genuinely think this is the scariest film I've seen in two years of my <laughs> Honestly. I really, really think it is. And it... I'm kind of flabbergasted by it again because it... It's a similar effect to what happened to me with the last broadcast, although a much more intense one. I can't... You know, there's not a lot happens in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, it's not full of huge jump scares. You know, there's not crashing chandeliers. There's not fucking monsters just outside the, the you know the, the vision of the camera that you spin round and see. There's none of that. There's very little moving footage in it. There's one jump scare. Everything else is still frame shots. Mm-hmm. It's just a fucking great story. Well acted. Oh, the acting's phenomenal. Yeah. And it's just really good fucking storytelling. And, and the, 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 you know, the, the intensity that they build up in this is staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, this film, it scared the utter shit out of me, this film. <laughs> fucking thing, man. Um, I, I had said to you very briefly um, a couple of things I want to touch on um, I'd said to you briefly before we started recording that there is definitely parallels to Twin Peaks yeah this, right? yeah, you'd mentioned that yeah Yeah, and I mean you can look at on a superficial level the surname of the girls who die in both movies is Palmer you look mm-hmm. at it that way you both look at it from the point of view that they were filmed you know, near a body of water, having apparently been potentially drowned. Yeah. Um, that when you start looking into their lives, they were kind of quiet, well-liked girls who had this whole other darkness about them that no one knew, which comes out during the investigation. Uh-huh. Um, their connections with a psychic psychiatrist sort of thing. Um, their kind of sexual practice was someone they shouldn't have been sleeping with at the age they were all these sort of things definitely are there which makes me you know it makes me think that definitely this dude this Joel dude has has grown up watching Twin Peaks it's definitely been an influence on him but the second thing I want to touch on is that I have a different interpretation of the ending Baz alright right to me you're right um, they have these conversations between, with the psychiatrist where they basically tell two sides of a, a story that's interacting but um, I think that Ali has already she's found that she's like kind of got the ability to see her own death but I think she also sees her mother's death I think um, there is a there's a very powerful reason why when the house is being packed up it's the father and the son that's doing it when the when just Ali's, them like yeah it's just them the mother's not there they're not in the the mother doesn't appear in the sequence however she's in the girl's room and um Ali says that you know she doesn't see her and she t- you know turns around to leave the room and then the clip we see is of her mother walking out the room holding a black cord and then going out down the corridor and round the corner and I think the mother kills herself I think she commits suicide and I think that's why you don't see her after that sequence I think that Ali sees her mother's death, very similar to how she saw her death at Lake Mungo she sees her death before that in the sessions with the psychiatrist alright I 
I totally missed all that. I didn't see this cord thing that you're talking about. Yeah, she she walks out of the room holding a black cord in her in her hands and goes around the corner. Um, and oh, see, I thought she was just packing up the room while they were packing up the car outside. Nah. That, so are you saying that was actually different times? Yeah, I think yeah, I think the three ah. sequences are all shot at different times. I think the father and son are shot in the present time. I think the mother's interaction is shot just before that, and I think that obviously Ali's sequence is shot before that. So I think the mother kills herself at the end. Um, I think if you get a chance to watch the movie again, I don't know when you intend on watching the movie. Yeah, again. not anytime fucking soon, <laughs> and I mean that in all seriousness. <laughs> if you watch it back, I think the thing is as well. See if you watch this movie back. I'm going to be looking at every fucking photo that appears on that screen with like a ridiculous eye for the corners of what's happening. Yeah, I, 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 I totally get that. I mean, I, you start to do it anyway mm-hmm. as the film goes on because you start to realise there's other things in these pictures kind of thing, but they, they do it so fucking well. You never actually see them until they lead you to it. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's Yeah, it's I, I, will, I will echo... Your statements, I think. I mean, I, I never rushed out to see this movie when people were talking about it. I genuinely think it's one of the best found footage. I know it's not technically a found footage movie, it's a fucking fake doc, full documentary, but it's one of the best of that genre I've ever seen. Like, ever. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily... It didn't have the same visceral scare effect on me. It definitely had a creepy vibe in such a way that I've been thinking about the movie all day today at my work. I could not get it out of my brain at all. Um, I've been playing over certain sequences over and over again. I think it handles grief in a way which I've never really seen like put forward in, a, in this sort of environment in movies where it feels real and raw. Um, I think the acting, like you said earlier on, is... Is so good. It's excellent. They're all very good. Every character, even the ones that have two seconds on the screen, feel like legitimate people. They they don't feel like actors. So, yeah, I think this movie is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want people thinking I hated this film. I absolutely loved this film. Mm -hmm. The story's brilliant. It's like the last broadcast. I loved the story behind it. Yeah. Um. It just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> but it's a brilliant film. I genuinely don't know how quickly we'll go back to it, but that's because I'm kind of scared of it. Mm. No, that's, you know I mean, I mean? That's, that's... Hey, listen, I, I've said many times before that the biggest compliment you can pay to a director of a, a horror movie is the effect that this movie had on you. Um, I think in, in Joey Tribbiani fashion, I think my DVD's going in the freezer <laughs> before I go to my bed tonight. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my God, yeah, this fucking movie. Baz, Baz, I need yeah. to ask you, my friend, because um, we could I don't spend... think you need to bother. I do kind of <laughs> need to ask you, because like I say, we could spend more time analysing exactly yeah. what it is that makes this movie creepy, and I, I don't know what it is myself. It's just fucking weird. Um, but the, the, the ultimate question that comes up is Baz and this second movie review on this episode, the third episode of Baz v Halloween 2015 on the, the, the pantheon the stage, the battleground the immortal battle of Baz v Halloween in this round who was victorious, Baz or Halloween? Oh, Halloween fucking kick my ass <laughs> honestly and then use my face to wipe the blood up <laughs> It's, um, yeah, no, fucking, there's absolutely no question about it. Oh, uh, 
messing about. I genuinely think that's top of the pile. Two years, I think that's the fucking worst I've been through. I don't know why. I don't. I fucking don't know why. <laughs> just that. Just hey, we've all got them. We've all uh, got them. We've all got that one movie that just it, it just hits us on a level which we can't quite explain. Yeah. Um, and I will, sometimes I will it's sing irrational. the praises of this thing though. Mm-hmm. I will bang on at people about this. Uh, since I saw Poughkeepsie tapes, I keep banging on to people about Poughkeepsie tapes. You need to see this film, man. It's fucking amazing. Do you know what I mean? This is my new Poughkeepsie that yeah. I'm going to bang on at people. You need to see this film, Lake Mungo. It's fucking amazing. It absolutely is. I won't watch it with you, but um, <laughs> you need to see it. <laughs> you know. Right, right, Baz. What I think I think we should do is we should take a short break. You can pour yourself a stiff drink, and when we return, we will be closing out part three. The third episode of Bands v Halloween 2015. Myself and the Bars coming right back after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They try to kill us. You ungodly warlock. <laughs> Midnight Horror Show, the internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at tmhsradio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app, search TMHS Radio, or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been Baz v Halloween 2015 episode number three. We have looked at 2002's Irreversible and 2008's Late Mungo on this show. And in a shocking, surprising uh, turn of uh, events, it's it's all even again. We're, we're, we're back to level pegging. It's three apiece at the end of the show. Baz, this has been... Not the best week for you, my friend. It's, it's almost not, no, no. Um, like you say, it's a complete, a complete swing in the the pol- political jargon. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was riding high after last week, but brought back to earth with a fucking bump this week. I've got to say. Yeah, it's um, a polar opposite uh, in comparison to last week, and um, there we go. A surprising victory. Just when I was saying at the start of the show, my confidence had been dented. I would never have imagined. I kind of thought Irreversible might might do something, but when we were reviewing it, was starting to feel that maybe you'd coped with it better than I expected. Um, and I'd never seen Late Mungo before, so I was not in a position at all. And ladies and gentlemen, have now heard your text message, uh, which you sent me, greatest text message of all time. I have not deleted it. Have indeed taken a screenshot of it, emailed it to myself. Shall get it printed out and framed. Same by the bars. Um, yeah, so there we go. Interesting turn of events on this show. So it's all to play for at level pegging on episode number four, which is coming in exactly one week's time. And on that show, we're going to be looking at Eden Lake. Now, Eden Lake, you'll be happy to know, is not an art house movie, Baz. Mm-hmm. We're moving back into the realms of proper cinema. 
Um, the subject matter, on the other hand, not so pleasant, but we do have the delight of gazing upon the rather dreamy Michael Fassbender. He's so dreamy. Um, There's a couple of other ones in there as well. The wee boy Turgus from This Is England, he's in it. Yes, he is indeed. It's a really good casting in this movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Really good. It is grim as fuck. Um, so, so, so grim. Um, the subject matter next week is not going to be nice. Um, and then we'll be following that up with the found footage choice, which is the taking of Deborah Logan, which came out last year. Um, and I have said has what I consider the greatest single shot of horror in a movie last year. There's a about a two second clip in there, which, which when I saw it, my brain still struggles to compute what I saw. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite worried about that one. Uh, I don't feel confident about that one at all. No, again, it's one that came up previously when we've been had viewers votes for things, and I remember you talking about it when you saw it. Mm. Um, it's a really, really, really fucking good movie. Yeah, a surprisingly good movie. It mixes in the religious horror type thing as well a little bit. And yeah. Yeah, I'm not confident. I'm a bit worried about that one, I've got to say. So, I will see. I, I mean, I think... In my head, I think it's probably going to be a draw at the end of the next episode as well. I'm not going to tell you what I think you're going to cope well with, but that's how I see it. I see it going a draw into the final week. Uh, in which one side or the other will have to pull out a queen sweep to win and I don't know how likely that is either. It's too close to call now, man. It's too close. <laughs> uh, all bets are off. This is, this is, this is, this is, the, the fucking threat is real, Baz. The threat is real. <laughs> um, but uh, as always, the people that benefit from this, the listeners, the listeners, you lucky, lucky, lucky bastards at home, listening to the Baz, not knowing which way he will sway. Will he sway into the the joyous embrace of victory? Um, Or will he crumble, crawl, and uh, hide in the fetal position in a a darkened cave somewhere, um, traumatised? Drenched in mind, pish. (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. Um, So yeah, that's that... My God, I can't believe we're three episodes in already. This is that October is flying in, my friend. Aye, uh, fucking for you, maybe. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's Funny, not been the greatest fucking month again this year for me. It's almost kind of following the exact beats of last year, to an extent, if you think about it. By yeah, week three last I, last I, year, it was you were not doing well. Was the middle, yeah, week yeah. three. However, what I have on my side this time is that um, I don't have Paranormal Activities 4 and the marked ones uh, left to give you, which were two movies I knew you would pretty much walk. I still have... Do do you want to hear a creepy, spooky coincidence, though? Oh, tell me your creepy, spooky coincidence, Baz. This is breaking the fourth wall a bit, folks, but we'll go for it anyway. How many times have you and I had to re-record a segment um. Oh, actually, that is quite creepy. Now that I thought about, we've only ever had to times? do it twice, Baz. Right. One was Eden Lake. No, sorry. One was Lake Mungo. Yeah, one was Lake yeah. Mungo. So on this what show, was the other one, the other one was Paranormal Activity Three. No, well, it was fourteen oh eight. Yeah, it was on that show. Uh huh. Which was the third show. Yeah. Of last year's so. Each year we've done Baz v Halloween, 
on the third episode, We've the had... accompanying film has failed. No, sorry, not in this one, but yeah, one of the but films... But yeah, one of, one of the films has, has failed, so what we need to do next year is when we come to week three I can't switch over to any other screen than the recording software yeah, screen yeah. for the full fucking time yeah late mungo was a coincidence <laughs> that isn't it yeah late mungo was a second record for us which we did right directly after the first one because I didn't want to take any time off I wanted to catch Bazzi's kind of very visceral first opinions of that movie and even though it was the second time talking through it was it was still fresh enough that we could do that so yeah, yeah that is actually you said that I never thought of that that's only ever happened and in fairness I have only ever had to re-record a segment with you Baz is that right? yeah I've lost I've lost some recordings in my time two in total which is not bad considering I've recorded uh, close to a hundred shows now with the podcast under the stairs I've only ever lost two shows and had to record with you twice so there you go weird weird and creepy Um <laughs> Um, so yeah, so uh, there we go. Strange things happen. Strange things happen. But we have another week um, of fantastic movies coming up next week before we hit our final week of uh, Baz v Halloween. Um, if you have been uh, keeping score, taking count of the the movies, watching along with us, which we know that some of our listeners are doing, which is fantastic to see and hear. Um, for those out there that maybe have stumbled across the podcast for the first time or don't know the multitude of ways that you can check out this show, allow me to enlighten and educate you. Um, open your minds to the, the plethora of ways to check out our podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, and if you do, using the podcast under the stairs feed, I would appreciate if you take two seconds to go and leave us a review. Very, very simple on iTunes. You leave us a review. If you, it was five stars, for example, so if you enjoyed the show enough to give us five stars, the more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes ratings we get pushed the more likely it is that other people will experience the buzz which come on let's face it everyone should experience the buzz <laughs> that's a given surely um, you can check us out um, on our webpage which is podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com on the SoundCloud page uh, for, for the show which is uh, I think it's soundcloud.com forward slash it's either Visual Chaos or Duncan McLeish one of the two you'll see the link through the website anyway and you so you can check out the full back catalogue of shows I know iTunes is cut off um, it'll only allow me 50 shows at a time so it's cut off some of the earlier ones so you'll be able to get them on the website or on SoundCloud you can listen to us exclusively um, through the Legion Podcast Network we're not affiliated with any other network so if you want to hear us on a network then check us out over on Legion Podcast Network uh, surrounded by some fantastic horror podcasts um, we also have some gaming podcasts and stuff over there as well uh, video commentary so you can check us out over there uh, and we are on the social medias facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast where you can interact with myself and the Baz there it's a very animated and energetic page a ton of listeners over there I think we're up to almost 250 uh, which is fantastic it's incredible actually and our listeners are the best um, and the the, the the pot of knowledge over there for horror films is ridiculous so uh, come and be a part of that if you're on Facebook and the Baz is our admin over at the Twitter page Baz would you like to enlighten our listeners as to where they can check out our Twitter page and what goes on over there yep you can check out our Twitter page um, sorry I am frantically logging in here because I want to be able to tell you how many followers we've got now our Twitter account is at tputscast 
and we are up to 268 followers now. Jesus Christ, Baz. Which is uh, is absolutely amazing. Thank you, one and all. Each you're 268 a, of you, you're all amazing. You're a um, giant horse, sir. A giant horse. <laughs> well, over the past month or two now, we've been... We've been trying to use the, the account more, but we're terribly negligent with it um, <laughs> for the first year or so of its existence. <laughs> um, but we're getting interaction, people contacting us via it now, you know, chat on the, the, the Twitter account. And, and I am loving it, I've got to say. Um, thank you to everybody that follows us, and thank you in particular to those that are tweeting me and getting involved with the show. Um, all of our I'm not tweeting the films that we're doing for Baz V Halloween because we're doing one, we're doing so many, and two, don't want to kind of spoil it because folk want to know how it's going to end up. So there's no tweets going out during these films. But when I go back to my normal Baz V horror stuff after this, um, all of the tweets relating specifically to Baz V horror will be coming out from the Teapots account. Um, but I'm on most days tweeting shit and annoying people. So please join in. It was uh, it was quite eerie since we're pointing out eerie coincidences that while we were talking earlier on about our good buddy Tom the bass player who has been interacting us Tom Wilson um, who was talking about watching the last broadcast for the first time in 20 years totally shitting himself great we got another tweet in with a very similar message uh, from the Grave Shift Sisters who said at Teapot's cast, finally watching the last broadcast last night because of the latest episode. Haven't been doing well home alone since. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I love how Baz is laughing at your pain, yet he was the same. Oh God, I. Yeah. <laughs> so La- yeah, laughing with you, not at you, your yeah. sisters. Trust me. <laughs> so yeah, that I think that uh, does us for another. Baz v Halloween episode and like I say we'll be back in one week's time for Eden Lake and the taking of Deborah Logan. Baz is there anything you would like to say before saying goodbye to our listeners? Um, no I am just going to get a stiff fucking drink and go and sleep the sleep of the just till I'll be fucking tackled the next one of these things. Thanks for listening folks. Right and um, please take care of yourselves out there I hope you are Wherever you are joining in the, the lengthy October Halloween celebrations, taking in as many horror movies as you can, as always being respectful of each other and being safe, and um, we will speak to you in one week's time. But until then, this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from the void. Signing off.
Hello? Hello, can you hear me out there? This is Duncan McLeish from the podcast Under the Stairs. This is a really quick message. I have to keep trying to move my location every half an hour just in case someone finds me. I think I now know who it was that kidnapped me and if if my theory plays out in the next week I should be able to get the evidence, then it's more sinister than I could ever have imagined. Just keep checking out these messages. Um, if you've got any concerns, raise them with the Baz. The Baz is um, my only contact just now with my, my world. Um, I need to go, I hear someone coming, signing off.